Hi, this is Lauren Engel of Sidewalk Talk. We do a lot of interviews with EDM artists, pop artists, rappers, and people in the industry, letting you know what they do behind the scenes. Also, make sure to follow us on Instagram and Twitter through the handle Sidewalk Talk Show. Hope you guys enjoy. Hi, this is Lauren Engel. Today, I'm here with Edit of the Glitch Mob. What's up? A few years ago. Actually, how long was it? We met in Hong Kong. Yeah, totally. I don't know, I guess like uh, over, uh, well, definitely over a year, right? So yeah. maybe close to two years now? I think yes. it was yeah. Toki Monster Show and you yes. were there. And it was like right. this underground, I forgot what the place was. It was really cool that we yeah. met. I don't it even It was remember. a cool bar. It was, um, it was, I think it was a cool bar somewhere close to, was it's like it? like Yes, yeah. that's right. That's right. Yeah, and then here we are. <laughs> yeah. So were you born in Boston or where were you? Uh, yeah, I was uh, I was born in Boston, Beth Israel Hospital, and um, mm-hmm. yeah, I spent um, my adolescent life on the East Coast, and then uh, I came out to Los Angeles for college, went to school at USC. Yeah. And uh, yeah, the rest is history. I've stayed out here ever since, so I'm, I'm a true Angelino now. Yeah. <laughs> Did your parents move from Hong Kong to Boston? Yeah, they moved from Hong Kong to Boston and then back to Hong Kong. Oh. And that's where they currently live right now. For work or what made them move to Boston? Um, I think, you know, they just wanted, like, you know, uh, better opportunities in life, you know. Um, mm-hmm. Hong Kong, it's, it, it's kind of like a hard place to, to make it, you know, when you're, when you're really um, at a financial disadvantage, you know. So, mm-hmm. yeah. My dad's got the craziest story. He's like, you know, he literally came to the United States with $50 in his, in his pocket and, um, you know, just like went on to own multiple restaurants oh, wow. um, in the Boston area and, mm-hmm. you know, yeah, you know, uh, it's, it's really just kind of like a Cinderella story in mm-hmm. that way and it's super inspiring yeah. and, um, yeah, he's, he's one of my biggest inspirations. Oh, I love that. <laughs> Did your mom, like, help out as well as, like, a family business, like a restaurant? Yeah, 100%. Me too. I used to, I used to um, do everything from deliver Chinese food to shorter to cook, clean bathrooms, um, package, takeout, and delivery orders. So I basically spent, like, the majority of my life working in restaurants. Mm-hmm. And uh, I have the utmost respect for everyone else that also works in restaurants as well too so mm-hmm. yeah do you get a creative side from them my creative side well my dad actually he used to play in this band when he was um in his early 20s oh wow and he basically like this guy in his in his band uh was called sam hoy and sam hoy in hong kong he's like he's basically like um how can I explain it? He's like he's like maybe like the equivalent of Brian Wilson from the Beach Boys or like or like one of the dudes from the Monkees. He was like yeah. he you know, he made kind of like that style of, you know, bubblegum pop songs in the 70s, but he was also an actor, so he was yeah, he was in a band with my dad and then basically when my dad split off and like moved to the United States, like Sam Hoy blew up and he became like a <coughs> cultural icon in Hong Kong. So maybe oh my if my gosh. dad had stayed in a band with them, maybe maybe my dad would have become a movie star. Who, who knows? It's tough to say. That's like the coolest Asian dad I've ever heard. <laughs> yeah. So he was playing that kind of music in the house when you were growing up? 
Um, yeah, my dad, you know, he was, like, always into, like, classic rock and stuff and, like, playing me, like, Rolling Stones and Jimi Hendrix and, like, always shredding on the guitar. My, my dad can shred on the guitar, like, like way, way crazier than me, honestly. Um, he's got some serious guitar chops. And, um, yeah, my dad, my dad's just kind of, like, one of those, like, really crazy, like, brilliant musicians that, like, never took lessons. Mm -hmm. And just taught himself how to play bass, guitar, piano. Can fully just like hear something off the radio and just like start playing it on the piano. Like he's one of those kinds of guys. He's 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 a really eccentric dude. Yeah. Yeah. Do you remember the first record you bought? The first record that I bought, yeah, actually like my dad bought me Rolling Stone Satisfaction, the cassette tape. Oh. And that was actually like the very first piece of music that I ever owned and um, I rinsed that tape I rinsed that tape hard until until it was like all like jammed up in the tape player and everything <laughs> and, and then I would like take it out and like wind it back up and still keep playing it. Yeah. Were you in bands then growing up? Uh, yeah I was um, in high school you know uh, just like high school bands just like playing just you know everything from Nirvana to you know, Dave Matthews band and stuff, you know, just, just covers and stuff, nothing, nothing really original. Um, but yeah, I, I kind of like started to, uh, to fall in love with like drum bass, like towards the end of high school. And then like when I moved out to Los Angeles to go to school at USC, <clears throat> you know, um, I mean, the rave scene was just like so captivating at that point in time. I and mean, it was like so different than what it is now. It was like very underground. There were like these things called map points where you know, you would have to uh, drive to multiple locations to uh, to basically get your ticket to the rave before they eventually tell you where it is kind of vibe and fully illegal, you know. Um, yeah, definitely been in some, like, really wild, you know, rave scenarios <laughs> growing up. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, it was uh, just the scene out here was, like, very very captivating and, 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 and very vibrant at the time as well too and um, yeah and, and I just like fell in love with like drum bass and like obviously you know that led to falling in love with um, indie hip hop in Los Angeles I actually worked at this label called uh, Celestial Records which mm -hmm. was Daddy Kevin Hive's record label at the time they, they released all the Project Load stuff that was happening at the time and um that was like basically the precursor to Low End Theory. Oh. Yeah. Did you always know that you were going to have like a career in like anything creative? No, definitely not. Definitely not. I, I distinctly remember when when I started becoming a resident DJ at Concrete Jungle, which was uh, Daddy Kev's first club that, uh, that he did with Hive, like long before Low End Theory. I, I thought that I had made it, you know? Honestly, I was like, this is it. Like, I've got a residency at this dope club. Like, as long as I can basically, like, fly out on the on the weekends, play, like, another gig and make, like, a few hundred bucks, like, I'm straight. Like, this is, like, all I need in life, you know? And, like, I never thought that it would, uh, you know, blossom to, like, where thing, things are now, you know? So, mm -hmm. super grateful and... Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> you know? At USC, were you studying first, like, musical? Uh, at USC, I was actually a theater major. Yeah. Uh, I came out to... To go to USC on a BFA theater scholarship, but then I lost it. 
uh, after my first semester because my grades weren't high enough. <laughs> I, I spent way too much time partying, mm -hmm. not enough time studying. So you wanted to get into acting? Originally, yes, yeah. yes. I was, uh, you know, trained in um, Shakespeare and musicals and like all that kind of stuff when I was growing up. And uh, I just, it, it was always going to be theater or music and I just had a way better shot um, going to college on a theater scholarship. So yeah, yeah that's, that's what I went for. I auditioned uh, for USC. I got accepted into the BFA program. Um, yeah, and it was like a really prestigious thing, you know, like they only took like 15 kids at the time out oh, wow. of like 5,000 that auditioned or whatever. Uh, but as soon as I got to Los Angeles, you know, I was just like, I was just like, man, like, I, I don't think I really want to act not in this town. Mm -hmm. Like, um, you know, I came from theater. So LA is very much about, you know, kind of getting into TV and films. And I didn't really oh, think yeah. that's where I wanted to be. So. And your parents were supportive the whole time of you studying something creative? Yeah, that's like the one thing I really got to give it to my parents. You know, it's it's uh, my dad, like, he was like, listen, he was like, I don't want you to have any regrets, you know, um, in your older years in life. He was like, you know, even if you go do this and it doesn't work out, I at least want you to say that, you know, you went and you pursued, you, you pursued so cool. your dream. Which is like really forward thinking for like Asian parents because yes, like normally so Asian shocked. parents are like not like that whatsoever. <laughs> yeah. So yeah, like my dad, he's like a really progressive dude, you know. So hats off to him. I mean, like if it wasn't for his blessing, I mean obviously like I'm not involved in theater anymore whatsoever. Mm -hmm. But I mean like you know the the you know the just like his blessing to like let me go do whatever I wanted to do in college obviously eventually led to glitch mob like many 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 years later how long ago did you come up with edit it was like before all the glitch mob yeah yeah totally um well so i was a resident dj at uh at daddy kevin hives club concrete jungle and then uh that was basically beginning to end like uh when when college was wrapping up for me and uh, yeah, I basically just like took that opportunity because I was DJing a lot at that time. I was DJing probably like two or three times a week around town. Like, you know, obviously at Concrete Jungle, but then like would go DJ raves on the weekend and stuff. And then like, you know, I think after doing that for like probably like three years, I just kind of felt like, you know, I think like the next fulfilling creative endeavor for me is going to be making music. And um, so basically after that, I just started making a bunch of music and a lot of it was just like throwing spaghetti at the wall. I had yeah. no idea We're doing, like, what I was doing. Producing like hip hop stuff for other people? Uh, yeah, I was, I was uh, you know, basically producing some hip hop beats just for like some of like the Project Blow dudes like Bus Driver and stuff. And you know, um, Peace from the Freestyle Fellowship, he would like sleep on my couch occasionally. There was, there was one other guy who was in my DJ battle crew in college, uh, Kenny Siegel, who's now in Team Supreme. But, you know, Peace would basically live over at his at his apartment, which was just right down the street from me. So, you know, we would, like, have a lot of those kinds of guys in and out of our places a lot, you know. And um, Aloe Black as well, too. I went to school with Aloe Black, so I actually recorded a lot of uh, the super early Eminon stuff in my place. Um, yeah, so, you know... Uh, that just kind of led into production, really. And um, at the time, you know, uh, the roommate that I had 
he was really into like all of uh, I guess you could call it like all the IDM that was happening at the time just like all the warp records Apex Square Pusher Oddsucker like all the Planet Mew stuff that was happening and um, that was just like I think just uh, as a result of living with him you know uh, my, my first record Crying Over Crows for No Reason it, it just inherently just ended up sounding like that I think just due to all the records I would hear just like coming out of his room just being like oh damn that, that shit's crazy those sounds are nuts like I think I could kind of like you know make something take like a page out of that book but kind of do it my way you know mm -hmm. so yeah and um yeah basically I put out a record on this label uh, Planet Mew out of London um long long time ago <laughs> like well over 10 years ago and um yeah that just kind of like kick things off for me and, and the way that I met Josh and Justin, you know, my bandmates on the Glitch Mob, was um, somebody just like suggested one night that I should go to Burning Man for my very first time. Yeah. And uh, at the time there was a social media website or network or whatever you want to call it called tribe.net. Mm -hmm. I put up a post there saying I was going and basically uh, I, you know, like uh, Justin reached out to me. Justin was basically curating the music for this one sound system camp. And he was like, hey, come play my camp. And I was like, okay, sweet. And then, uh, yeah, I got out there. I met Justin, um, my other bandmate, Josh, who was playing in the camp next door. And after that, like, you know, we basically all just started uh, DJing and playing a lot of the same uh, kind of like Burning Man parties mm -hmm. uh, in back-to-back -back time slots in the same rooms. So, you know, that eventually led to like, hey, we should just tag team. And then tag team led to, hey, we should actually maybe try and make some music. And um, yeah, now over 10 years later, here we are. Yeah. What clicked <laughs> to you to form a trio? Like, were you ever scared if like things didn't work out? Um, you know, like, I don't think you can really look at it like that. You know, I don't, I don't think you can like go into it being like, you know, worried that things are not going to work out. I think, uh, I think like with anything in life, I think it's just important to just like always go into everything like with an open mind no expectations and just um you know just like hope for the best you know and um and you know it's like it's the journey not the destination you know like phil jackson would always say so mm -hmm. yeah you know uh to us it's like i don't know like you know like we don't really judge what we do um or i guess like the legacy that you know we hope we're going to leave behind by by results really like you know that's not really what it's all about you know it's really much more about the journey and yeah just we've been on a wild and crazy journey yeah. together and you know we're just grateful for that you know really so how has your relationship with them changed over time oh you know it's like uh I, I i'm basically i mean you know those guys are like my brothers you know so i'm, I'm basically in in a marriage with those guys <laughs> but you know, I, I don't I don't sleep with them or I don't interact with them romantically, but you know, they're they are the equivalent of essentially my professional wives. Essentially, I spend a lot of time with those guys, a lot of time on tour buses, like sleeping a foot away from those guys. You know, uh, and yeah, you know, like those guys are involved heavily in my yeah, just like very much integrated into my everyday life. So. Yeah, and, um, you know, couldn't ask for, like, two better dudes to be bandmates and brothers for life, so, yeah. you know, um, grateful that I met them, you know. What was the decision not to sign with a major label? 
the decision not to sign? Oh, well, actually, it was, um, it was purely out of necessity, you know. Um, um, I'll let you in on a little secret. Actually, uh, our first record, uh, Drink the Sea, was originally supposed to come out on Alpha Pub, Daddy Cab's label. Oh. Um, but, you know, it just, uh, it, it didn't, obviously. Like, it, it you know, it, uh, we ended up releasing it ourselves. But yeah, you know, like uh, that was that was really it. Like originally, it was supposed to come out on a record label, Daddy Kev's record label. But you know, like uh, decisions were made, and it was decided that you know, um, yeah, like maybe that's not the best look, you know. And um, no hard feelings. Like we love Daddy Kev. It's you know, there's there's no hard feelings there whatsoever. But um, yeah, like that basically just forced us to release the record on our own, and. Um, it was scary, honestly. Mm-hmm. Like, uh, you know, it was over 10 years ago. We had absolutely no idea what we were doing at all. But, um, you know, uh, very fortunate that we had a really amazing... We had and have, to this day, a really amazing team around us. And um, the rest is history, yeah. you know. Um, How long have yeah. you had this team? Uh, I mean, since... Yeah, basically since before our first record. Oh, so, wow. Yeah, basically time. probably like two years after Glitch Mob was conceived, you know, and yeah, um, yeah you know, uh, really amazing group of guys, you know, uh, our manager, Kev Wolf, yeah, he's, he's been with us since the beginning, and um, you know, the team that does all our bookings, mm-hmm. Steve from Paradigm, amazing dude, you know, and like, yeah, all those people have like really helped, you know, guide us in the right direction, and um, yeah just really help us, you know, realize uh, our creative vision and I'm really grateful for those guys. How do you think our music has changed since the early songs you made? It's changed a lot, actually. You know, uh, when we when we first, you know, like, before we released our first album, uh, at the time, you know, we were kind of uh, lumped in with, with all of, um, kind of like, you know, the bass music, left field bass music and beat scene music that was happening in Los Angeles. Basically, like, everything low-end theory, you know, like, early Fly Low before he did, like, Los Angeles, uh, early Nosage, um, everything Marion Hops was playing on BBC Radio 1, like, dubstep before the Skrillex, Datsik, and Excision era, like, when dubstep was, like, still really deep and wasn't, like, you know, super EDM aggro style, you know, and, um, yeah, basically, we were making, like, uh, Accelerator Records called it, like, Laser Bass at the time. <laughs> that's what they called it. It was super hilarious. Um, and that's what ki- we were kind of, like, known for at the time. But when we dropped Drink the Sea, it was, uh, it didn't sound anything like that. It was, like, this, like, crazy, like, psychedelic, like, vintage like, Jim Morrison, ele- psychedelic electronic music, you know, and, um... That was also the main reason why it didn't come out on Alpha Club. I think there was just like some expectations there that like we were going to do one thing, but we actually did like a full 180 on everybody. Oh. And at first, actually, like a lot of fans, like they, they slammed us for it. They were like, yo, what is this? Like this just doesn't sound like anything you guys are known for. Like everything's just like rolled off, sounds like it was made in the 1970s. Like what the hell is this? And we got slammed for a lot of it at first. And we were just like, oh my God, what the hell did we do, yeah. you know? But, you know, the crazy thing about music is, like, you know, like, you don't, you don't pick your fans. You know, your fans pick you. And, and ultimately, over time, you know, like, it really just became a record that, I, I don't know, just, like, really connected and resonated with, like, so many people. Uh, we never thought it would 
be like that. We never set out to write a record with any agenda of like, let's make a chart-topping record or let's like do this and get the right collabs and it'll smash. Like that's never where we come from, you know? It's, um, we always just start from a place of just kind of like, you know, what do we want to say to the world? What are, what are the emotions and feelings that the stories that we were trying to tell, you know? Um, so yeah, you know, uh, and, and after that, you know, uh, since we did that like crazy 180 on Everybody Would Drink to See, it just kind of like opened the door for us to like really feel confident knowing that like we could do our own thing every time, do whatever. And, you know, we felt confident that like, you know, the fans and people would ride with us no matter what. So, yeah. you know, just really, it felt liberating, honestly. Mm -hmm. So, yeah. How do you see you've grown as a person since when you started? Oh, well, you know, it's, um, I mean, I've just been on this, like, crazy journey called music for so many years, you know, and, uh, um, I'm just so grateful, you know, like, I think, like, uh, every day it just teaches me gratitude, you know, um, I often just, like, tell people, it's like, you know, it could be a lot worse, you know, we could basically be, uh, I don't know, like, flipping burgers somewhere, you know, today, and, and we're not, you know, and, so no matter how hard it ever gets, and it does get very, very hard, it's like very hard work, you know, it's like half the time we work half as hard as everyone else, and then half the time we work three times as hard as everyone else. Right now we're in one of those three times as hard as everyone else faces, but, you know, but I mean, that's just like what we signed up for. It's, it's a very different life, um, but I'm totally grateful for it, and um, yeah, I mean, it's, this, is, this is all I know how to do, you know, this is my everything, so... Yeah, being a musician, like, that's that's just it for me, mm -hmm. you know? What would you say have been your biggest challenges so far? My biggest challenges so far... I think, you know, like, the biggest challenge we always have is that we always dream way bigger than what we can realistically execute. Like, what we envision and what we... The show that we dream that we want to put on for the fans and stuff, it's just... Um, Sometimes it's like way more grandiose than we can actually do mm -hmm. and I think like that's really just the biggest challenge with being an artist really is like You have all these amazing ideas. You want to put on The best show possible for everyone, you know Including us, you know something that's gonna be like rewarding and like creatively gratifying for us, you know, and um, yeah, sometimes, you know, just uh, The budget's just not big enough <laughs> you know? Yeah, and, and that's that's really it, you know, and uh and therein lies the challenge of like still trying to um, to put on a great show within your means, you know. Mm -hmm. So, what does success look like to you? Success, I guess. Success is really just like um, waking up every day with a smile on your face and just um, being happy doing what you love doing, mm -hmm. you know. And um, I, at least for me, like you know, I can I can say that like no matter how hard it gets, every day I wake up and I'm like, oh damn, like you know, like I wake up and like I make music for a living, you know, and, um, yeah, it's just, um, I don't take it for granted, and, you know, I'm super grateful for it, so, mm -hmm. yeah. What does love mean to you? What does love mean to me? Oh, man, well, I mean, you know, like, I, I, I am currently in love with someone, you know, she mm -hmm. is, she is the love of my life, you know, um, the, the most important person in my life, and, um, I don't know. I guess I guess it's just uh, when you can connect with someone that um, I don't know. You share that intangible thing with someone, and that connection that is just uh, unspoken. 
um, and an understanding and just uh, something that always feels like like home, you know, mm -hmm. when you come home to them. Yeah. Um, I think that's it. Yeah, <laughs> Last question. What do you want to be remembered for? What do I want to be remembered for? Huh. That's a good question. Um, you know, I think at the end of the day, it's like um, I always say that if the music we make, you know, if it, if it can put a smile on one person's face and it can, uh, you know, impact someone in a positive way, just even one person, then, you know, I think mission accomplished, you know, at the end of the day, that's really just what we set out to do. So, you know, I don't really think for me it's, it's, it's about being remembered, really. It's more just about being able to touch someone in a positive way with, um, with the music. So, yeah, I, I don't need to be remembered, you know. Yeah. I just, uh, you know, I hope that what we do is like, you know, put a smile on someone's face and, and it warms someone's heart and that's good enough for yeah. me. Like, I don't, I don't need to be remembered. <laughs> Thank you so much. I yeah, love no that. Doubt. Bye.